0: Shalom Alechem. Welcome, everyone. It's a blessing to be with you, and it's a, a privilege, actually, to share uh, the scriptures and, and uh, maybe help you to see how old and new fit together. I'm going to look at uh, a portion of scripture this morning uh, from Romans, uh, chapter 11, written by a, a kinsman of mine, Paul, a Jewish guy who uh, revolutionized... Uh, the faith and helped us to see, uh, as Jews, that God was opening the door for Gentiles. Uh, That was something we, as Jews, were not really in favor of, unless you would first become Jewish, Uh, and and God used him mightily to help us see that that God is not a respecter of persons, but uh, is uh, seeking to bring unity to Jew and Gentile, to, to bring the kingdom of God to all peoples. Well, we're gonna look at Romans chapter 11, and if you have a Bible, that would be great. If not, we'll, I'll, I'll, I'll be reading each one of those portions of scripture, but the focus is this time, I'm gonna be with you also next month, but to the first part of Romans 11. Let me begin by asking you, have there been times in your Christian experience when you felt that God has let you down? Perhaps you did the best job you could raising your kids and believed that God would fulfill his promise that they would not depart from the way. But then they have. Perhaps you prayed diligently about changing your job. You didn't want to make a mistake, and you really wanted to do the will of God, and you believed that God would answer your prayer for guidance. So you made that change, and it hasn't worked out at all. It's been a disaster, and you feel that God has let you down. Well, those are the kind of questions going through the minds of many first-century Christians, particularly when they thought about the Jewish people. God had made some spectacular promises to the Jews, promises of salvation, blessing, and spiritual leadership among the nations. Israel were to be priests to the nations, but the nation of Israel rejected their Messiah, the only one in whom these blessings could be fulfilled. So what's going to happen to Israel? Is God going to cancel his promise to his people? Will he fail to keep his word? Is he finished with them? Is he going to cast them off forever? Have they no more place in his scheme of things? Well, those were some of the questions that Paul addresses In that section of Romans 9, 10, and 11, Romans 8 says nothing will separate us from the love of God. And in Romans 9, 10, and 11, Paul proves that reality that nothing will in fact separate us from the love of God. And the example that he uses are the Jewish people. If God hasn't cast off Israel, you can be sure he will not cast you off and that his promises are certain and true. And so Paul begins this chapter, Romans 11, with the question, I ask then, has God rejected his people and his response is Absolutely not. Now let's work our way through and see why God's promises to Israel did not fail. And as we do so, we'll discover why his promises that he's made to you and I through our faith in his Messiah have not failed, no matter how it looks or no matter how it feels. Today we're going to examine two of the reasons that God has not rejected his people. And Lord willing, next month when I return, we'll examine the last reason. Now the first reason Paul gives that God has not rejected his people is that there is a remnant. In verse 5 of Romans 11, it says this, In the same way, there is also at the present time a remnant chosen by grace. Now when we think of a remnant, we think of a small piece of cloth that's left over after a a bolt of materials have run out and there's just a piece left or a portion left. But when Paul talks about a remnant, he's thinking about a small number of people. God allowed his people to reject their Messiah. And it seems like the entire nation has spurned him. But God has kept his promise by saving a few, a remnant, those who have come to him by faith in the Messiah, Jesus. Paul cites an example of the remnant. The first is himself. In uh, verse 1, he says, "Has, Has God rejected his people? Absolutely not. For I too am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, from the tribe of Benjamin. Paul was Jewish, receiving all of God's salvation blessings. God had not failed to keep his word. God is still extending his salvation promises to the Jewish people, like myself, who respond in faith to his Son. We see Jewish people in my line of work. I'm a missionary to the Jewish people. My job is sharing the gospel with Jewish people. And we see plenty of people, Jewish people, coming to faith. And we're seeing them submitting to the Lord in baptism. And so the second example... Uh, that Paul gives. First is himself. The second example Paul gives is Elijah. In in Romans 11, verses 2 through 4, he goes on to say this, God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew, or do you not know that what the scripture says about Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel? Lord, they've killed your prophets, they've torn down your altars, and I, I alone am left, Elijah cried out, and they're trying to take my life. But what was God's answer to him? I have 7,000 men who have not bowed their knee to Baal. So Elijah was depressed because he thought he was the only one left who was faithful among the the Israelites, among the Jewish people. But he was wrong. God still had 7,000 faithful Jews. God always has a remnant of true believers. There were plenty in Paul's day. In Romans 11, 5 and 6, Paul cites it. He says, in the same way, then, there is also at the present time a remnant chosen by grace. Now, if by grace, then it's not by works. Otherwise, grace ceases to be grace. Today, there are many Jewish people who've come to faith. I've I've had the privilege of starting two Messianic congregations, congregations of Jews and Gentiles that have formed, are functioning as churches and leading Jewish people to the Lord and discipling them and causing them to grow. And they are proof that God has not failed to keep his promise and his word. He's not cast away his people. God is still working among the Jewish people. And I thank God for that. And I thank God for Christians like you that pray for and support our ministry in reaching the Jewish people. God has always had a remnant of true believers as a result of his grace. It really is His grace. The remnant of, and God's grace then causes Paul to ask another question. And he answers it with some Old Testament quotations. He says in Romans 11, in verses 7 through 10, he says, What then? Israel did not find what it was looking for, but the elect found it. The rest were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that cannot see and ears that cannot hear to this day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap and a pitfall and a retribution to them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and their backs bent continually. God promises are sure. And God has kept his word. Israel as a whole, however, has been temporarily set aside. But individual Jews who believe in Jesus are being saved. The elect remnant has obtained salvation. And those who persist in their unbelief, they become hardened, calloused to the gospel. The quotations from the Old Testament substantiate the fact that they were hardened, those Jews who who refused to recognize that God sent the promised deliverer to them. Now, it's a scary thought to think that God actually hardens people. It's hard for me. My relatives and my own mother hardened her heart to the gospel. But keep in mind that people don't refuse to believe because they're hardened. Rather, they're hardened because they refuse to believe. People willfully and persistently recognize God, uh, consistently reject God's love and God's grace. And so he allows them to go their own way and eventually confirms them in their unbelief. We must remember that they made their own choice. And their poor choice made it look like God did not keep his promise. Yet God was at work all along. God is always faithful. Even if you and I are not, even if people are not, people will let us down, but God will never let you down. So what causes us to doubt God? Often it's human failure, not God's, that leads us to doubt. When people disappoint us, we can understand. We we, we can't understand many times. And we say, how could God let that happen? How could a marriage fail when we ask God to show us uh, the choice for our life partner? We need to keep in mind that people may let us down. And we may even let ourselves down. But God won't. He remains faithful, even if men do not. Somebody's poor choices may make it look like God has let you down, but I can assure you, he's still at work, fulfilling his promises and keeping his word. It's just as sure as there is a remnant that he has according to his grace. God cannot fail. He is God. And he will continue to be God faithful to his word and we need to continue to trust him. The second reason Paul says that God has not rejected his people and not failed to keep his word is that there are actually benefits from Israel's unbelief. He writes in Romans 11 and 12, I ask then, have they, the Jewish people, stumbled so as to fall? Absolutely not. On the contrary, by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel jealous. Now, if their transgression be riches for the world and their failure riches for the Gentiles, how much more their fullness will bring? And so Paul begins this section here in Romans with a question. Just as he did the first time, had they stumbled beyond uh, uh, so as to fall permanently? Paul is asking if, if they have fallen to a place beyond recovery. And he answers the same strong negative for the 10th time in this book of Romans. No, absolutely not. By no means. Why not? Well, for one thing, it's only a stumbling. They've only stumbled. A temporary setting aside. It's not a permanent fall. God has brought about that rejection in order to fulfill his plans for the nations. The plan is bringing salvation to the nations but will ultimately in time benefit israel as well in acts we find that wherever paul went he always presented the gospel to the jewish people first why because they were influential they were significant and they still are i mean consider this they they make up less than 1% of the world's population and yet have received 10% of the world's nobel prizes and and influence the world in law in science and in technology and in in finance, in, in medicine, you name it. They're in the leading front of it. Why? Because God has gifted them for a purpose and for a reason. And God's will will be done in them. They are called to be a light to the nations and priests to the nations. But right now, because of the hardness of my people's heart, the gospel has come to you to make us jealous. Only after they rejected the gospel Did he he turn to the Gentiles? It was Israel's rejection that brought the blessing of salvation to the world, to the nations. So Paul says, now if their transgression brings riches for the world, and their failure riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their fullness bring? Paul is alluding to something that he'll expand on that I'm going to deal with next month, in, in that next section where he says, and in this way all Israel will be saved. And we'll look exactly at what that means next month what does he mean by that but right now paul argues if israel's failure has brought blessing how much more will their fullness bring something greater indeed what a wonderful thing that'll be but meanwhile their fall has resulted in bringing riches and salvation and reconciliation of god to the nations and so paul now turns to gentile christians in rome And he he does so to scold them for being arrogant toward the Jews. Here surfaces one of the chief reasons and one of the basic reasons why this letter of Romans was written. The Gentiles had become the majority of the church, both in Rome and around the world, the church at large. Gentile Christians were tempted to take pride in their new position in Christ, even to the extent of thinking that they replaced the Jewish people. God's through with them. He's not working among us. And Paul addressed that by showing that by an act of grace, they have been added to Israel. Listen, whether you like it or not, Jesus made you kosher. He made you a part of his people. And boasting is out of the question because your salvation is part of God's plan to offer his mercy to all people. And their rejection is part of that plan. Paul wrote in Romans 11, 13 and 14. Now I'm speaking to you Gentiles, inasmuch then as I'm an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry if somehow I may make my own people jealous and save some of them. So this is the third time Paul mentions the salvation of the Gentiles was intended to make Jews jealous. Jealousy is a powerful motivator. How many times has someone devalued a boyfriend or a girlfriend or even broke up with them and And then when someone else shows them attention, their jealousy causes them to change their heart. Oi! what was I thinking? How could I have rejected her or him? So God, knowing how he had made us, anticipated that when the Jewish people look at Gentiles, they would see something that would make them view Christianity in a new light. God knew it would make them jealous. For me, it was the love and the joy and the peace that I saw in those Christians who shared the Gospel with me. They, they, they provoked me. I thought to myself, here were Gentiles who knew more about my God and my people than I did. I mean, these Gentiles, I was bar mitzvah Orthodox. And though I knew all the traditions, I could read Hebrew and so on, and I didn't know the Bible, really. I knew religion. I knew the prayers. But I didn't know the Bible. And here were Gentiles who knew more about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I mean, they were on a first-name basis with them. And I thought to myself, what are these Gentiles doing with my God? I remember the first time I saw the movie The Ten Commandments. That's how old I am. He was in a theater, first time out. And I'm looking around the theater, and there are a whole bunch of nuns there. And I thought, what are they doing here? This is our movie. This is about our people. Well, over time, I, I began to realize that, that, that this religion that they followed was a Jewish religion, that Jesus was Jewish, that he wasn't Catholic or Protestant, that he was Jewish. And, and that was the way it was supposed to work. I was moved to jealousy by these Gentiles who had come to the God of Israel and knew more about my people and my, my God than I did. And that brought me to faith In Yeshua, in Jesus, is my Messiah. And so Paul then used an illustration from the Jewish holy days to bring this point even further. He says in in verses 15 and 16, for if their rejection, that is the Jewish people's rejection, has brought reconciliation to the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? Now if the first fruits are holy, so is the whole batch. And if the root is holy, so too are the branches. In the law, in Torah, An entire lump of dough was sanctified, that is, set apart as holy, by offering the first part of it to the Lord. And as a result, the entire harvest, when we offered the first fruits of the harvest, was sanctified to the Lord. That's why we are told to give the first of our income to the Lord, because it sanctifies the rest of our income. It blesses it. That's why we give to the the Lord first. And he blesses everything else. That's why he blesses our going in and our going out. Because we've set apart the first unto the Lord. We acknowledge his sovereignty, that he is the one who is the source of all of our wealth. And so he uses the analogy of first fruits in Romans, talking about the Jews. The first fruits represent Abraham. And the lump is the whole nation of Israel. The God who made Abraham holy can make his descendants holy too. And the same truth is taught in that second illustration. Branches, the branches, the whole nation, share the same nurture and nature as the root, Abraham, from whom they come. Abraham is the, the root, the foundation, and the branches are Israel. And by this, Paul doesn't mean to say that all the descendants of Abraham will be saved. That's not what he's saying. But all Abraham's descendants continue to be set apart for a special purpose. That continuing special relationship between God and Israel gives reason to hope for a future spiritual renewal of those people. But before Paul uses this analogy to talk about Israel's future, he first uses the metaphor to chastise Gentile Christians in Rome. He says, now, if some of the branches, Jewish branches, were broken off, and you continue, though a wild olive branch, were grafted in among them, and have come to share the rich root of the cultivated olive tree, don't be arrogant to these who were broken off. Don't, Don't be arrogant. Don't boast that you're better than these branches. But if you boast, you don't sustain the root. The root sustains you. Paul opens with a conditional sentence that gets to the heart of this concern. The olive tree represents the place of blessings. The root of the olive tree is the covenant that God made with Abraham, received by faith. This covenant, this new covenant that you're a part of, is a Jewish covenant. Behold, days are coming, says the Lord, when I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant I made with them, when I brought them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them. Did you know that God is married to Israel? And, and because of their infidelity, he divorced Israel? But God never remarried. Yes, you're, you're declared to be part of the bride of Christ, but that marriage has not yet occurred. You're engaged. You're betrothed to the Lord. God has remained faithful, even though God's people have not But he never remarried, and you have been grafted in to them. That great marriage supper of the Lamb is going to be when Jew and Gentile will be together remarried to the Lord. The branches broken off were the Jewish people who rejected God's way of salvation. The wild olive branches grafted in are Gentile believers, whom God grafted into the place of blessing. You abide in Israel's Messiah, and so are blessed. Gentile Christians, though, might be tempted to feel proud about being grafted into the tree and might start to feel superior. But Paul warns, that's not smart. That's not wise. And Paul makes two points about why it's wrong for us to be arrogant toward the Jews. First, Paul says that Gentiles receive the spiritual blessings they enjoy through the Jews. Every book in the Bible was written by Jews. Now, some say Luke may, may not have been Jewish, but he was a doctor. Close to being Jewish. They've been grafted in. As a result, you have been grafted into the olive tree, the people of God. The roots of that tree are the Jewish patriarchs. The Gentiles have not replaced the Jew in God's plans. They've been grafted into them. They've been made partakers with them. And secondly, Paul reminds to the Gentiles, the Gentiles that they didn't earn the right to be grafted in. God chose Israel for the same reason he chose you by grace, apart from anything that Israel deserved or anything that you deserve. They were grafted in by faith and can easily be removed from unbelief, and so can you. You will say branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. True enough, they were broken off because of unbelief, but you stand by faith. Don't be arrogant, but beware, because if God did not spare the natural branches, he won't spare you either. Therefore, consider the kindness and severity. Severity toward those who have fallen, But God's kindness to you, if you remain in His kindness, otherwise you also will be cut off. Listen, Israel is an example to us of God's love and God's discipline. Whom the Lord loves, He disciplines, and He really loves the Jewish people. When you look at the Holocaust, and all the atrocities that have happened to my people, my mother was born in Germany. She experienced it firsthand. And some say, how could God do that? Well, if you read Deuteronomy, you'll see that if Israel forsaked God and His Messiah, that discipline would come to them. It's not easy for me to say that. But the truth of the matter, if God did that to the Jewish people, will He not do that to the church if we don't abide in Him? Whom He loves, He disciplines. We're living in a day right now where we're shaking our head and wondering, can it get any worse? And the answer is yes. And Israel remains an example of that. And we need to remember that just as Israel has been disciplined, so God can discipline us unless we abide in the vine. Unless we remain in Jesus, trusting in Him, walking in His love, abiding in Him. Paul ends this section with a word of hope. For the Jews who remain in unbelief, in Romans 11 he says this in verses 23 and 24, and even they, if they do not remain in unbelief, will be able to be grafted in because God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and against nature grafted into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? If the gardener is able to graft a wild olive branch into a cultivated olive tree, it's much easier to graft a cultivated branch back into its own olive tree. If the Jewish people come to faith in Jesus, they'll be grafted in again. Jews can be restored to the place of privilege and blessing. It happens the same way it happened to us. By grace, through faith, apart from any works, they they will one day look upon Jesus and see him for who he is. And that's what we're going to discuss next week. I want to leave with three lessons to think about that apply to our lives today. First of all, God is always faithful to his promise. Always. Whenever we think God has abandoned us or not keeping his promises, trust in him and wait. What God is doing in his promises are a work in progress. Secondly, there's no place for arrogance, pride, or boasting. God disciplined and is disciplining my people for that very reason to this very day. But they were and remain God's chosen people through whom God has brought salvation to the world. And we should be grateful for them and the role that they played. It's true that they rejected the Messiah when he came and that God used the Jewish leadership at the time to force Pilate to crucify Jesus. But in the end, the ones responsible for the death of Jesus is all of us because of our sin. Our sins put Jesus on the cross. And God's grace is the only way for our sins to be forgiven through his shed blood. Who killed Jesus? All of us did. If we don't acknowledge that, then we can't have a part in his forgiveness. We need to acknowledge that it was my sin that put him on the cross. And so we we need to recognize that there's no place for pride or arrogance. And thirdly, and lastly, Faith and faithfulness to God and God's grace are the only way any of us are saved. The only way a person is saved is through the proclamation of God's word. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by God's word and God's grace coming upon us that our ears could be opened and our heart could be transformed by receiving Jesus as our savior. And so God's commandment to us is to share the gospel with others, sending the word to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. And in it is the salvation of God. That's what Paul wants us to know. Trust in Him. Believe in Him. He will not fail you. Abide in Him that you might experience the best blessings of God. If you're not yet a believer, come to Him. Today, if you've heard His voice, don't harden your heart. Receive Him as your Savior and Lord. And God will take away His discipline, His judgment, and bring times of refreshing refreshment and joy to your life and use you to be a blessing to others and if you will would you join me in prayer our father and our god we thank you and praise you for your word which is a lamp unto our feet a light unto our path we thank you for the grace that you've shown to your church the lord by your grace you've opened our eyes and our heart to see jesus as our savior and you've called us to be a light to the nations to the jew first and also to the gentile to the nation's Lord, thank you for your promises, that they're sure, that even now in this generation we're seeing your hand in unbelief bring Jewish people back to the land as you promised through the prophet Ezekiel. And that, Lord, one day you're returning and every eye will see. Your word says that in one day you will open their eyes and they will see you as Savior and Lord. Father, may we rest assured, even now as you're bringing Israel back to the land, that your promises are sure and certain. And then, Lord, you call us to trust you and obey you. May we walk away from here, encouraged Lord God, that each of us could turn to you and abide in you and know your life and joy. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.